0: I'm going to read from Job 42. And we read, Then Job replied to the Lord, I know you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, Who is it that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, Listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. After the Lord had said all these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends. Because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliaphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Naamathite did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayers. After the Lord had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his sons and daughters and everyone who'd known him before came and ate with him in his house They comforted him and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought upon him, and each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters, The first daughter he named Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Keren-hapuch. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so he died, old and full of years. Let's just come and pray. Father, we come into your presence and pray that tonight again that you'll teach us through the the life and example of your servant Job. Father, we pray that the lessons he learned, that we'll understand and we will seek to put these lessons into play in our own lives. But Father, we know that it's not just a matter of learning intellectually, but that we need your help. We need the help of the Holy Spirit if we're to understand you and if we're to live for your glory. So Lord, we pray, come now in the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Justice, it's such a a powerful and emotive word, isn't it? You know, individuals, communities, nations around the world are crying out for what they see as justice. And yet, as we look on, and so often also from the perspective of our own experience, justice is one thing that often seems to be in short supply. And, And what is around can at times appear to be sadly warped. Here's a justice story for you. A lawyer in Charlotte, North Carolina, purchased a box of very rare and expensive cigars, and then he insured them against fire, among other things. Within a month, having smoked his entire stockpile of these cigars, and without even having made the first premium payment on the policy, the lawyer filed a claim against the insurance company in his claim the lawyer stated that the cigars were lost in a series of small fires (laughs) the insurance company refused to pay citing the obvious reason that the man had consumed the cigars in the normal fashion the lawyer continued he sued and he won he won that's America. But anyway, in delivering his his ruling, the judge agreed with the insurance company that the law, that the insurance company, that the claim was frivolous. But the judge, the judge stated that nevertheless, the lawyer held a policy from the company in which it had guaranteed that these cigars were insurable and also guaranteed that it would insure them against fire, and they'd done that without defining what was considered to be acceptable fire. And so they were obligated to pay the claim. Now rather than enduring a lengthy and costly appeal process, the insurance company accepted the ruling and paid the lawyer $15,000 for the loss by fire of his rare cigars. Here comes the best part. After the lawyer cashed his cheque, the insurance company had him arrested on 24 counts of arson. (laughs) With his own insurance claim as evidence and testimony from the previous case being used against him, the lawyer was convicted of intentionally burning his insured property. And so was sentenced to 24 months in jail and a $24,000 fine. (laughs) Now you might think he's making that up, but you know, it is a true story. It won first place in the US Criminal Lawyers Award Contest in the year 2002. It actually happened. But, Things are different with God, aren't they? There is real justice with God. And as we're going to see tonight in our final look at Job, that's something that Job's story illustrates so powerfully and so well. And the way we're going to focus in on this tonight is is by looking at the interplay, the interaction that there is here between Job's faith and God's justice. So we're going to begin by just briefly looking at faith stated, the statement of Job's faith, at the verse that for me really sums up the faith of Job that kept him going throughout this experience, when things must at times have seemed so unjust and when justice, the possibility of it, must have seemed so far away. And that verse is Job 23, verse 10. But he knows the way I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Now, this verse, I believe, tells us three things about Job's faith. About the faith he had that enabled him to hold on to God when it must have been so tempting at times just to give up, to give up on God, on life, on everything. Just to give up and let go. So this verse tells us that Job believed first that God knew about his situation. That God knew that he had a God who wasn't sitting in heaven aloof and disinterested, but rather that his God was aware, intimately aware, and cared about his situation. See what it says? He knows the way I take. Second, this verse, I believe, tells us that Job understood and had faith that God was involved in his situation no matter how incredible that might seem when he has tried me now of course from our perspective we know that it was Satan who was actually the origin of Job's trials God wasn't in any kind of direct hands-on way involved in what Job went through but at the same time God was involved in the all that Job went through was within the context of God's sovereign power. God was involved in that as Job turned to him and as Job held on to him, as Job's faith then was tried and tested and proved, so God was able to take Satan's worst and use it for the best. So God was able to take that which Satan intended for Job's destruction and use it And turn it to bring blessing to Job and glory to his own almighty name. Which brings us on to the third element of Job's faith that I believe we find contained in this verse. That Job believed that God would bless him. That after his trials, that after he'd been tried and proved, that God would bless him in some way wonderful way. Job believed that. I shall come forth as gold. He had a hope then beyond what he was going through. He had a faith that beyond his suffering and pain that there lay that which in some way was gold. This was the core of Job's faith. The faith enabled him to hold on to God and more than that to grow in God as you went through what is such an incredibly terrible experience of suffering. Do you know, it's maybe not a bad idea to underline this verse in your Bible. It's not something that I often do. In fact, I don't really do it. But this is one verse that it maybe is worth having underlined in our Bible. A verse that if and when, dark times, perplexing times... Times of trial, God. times when God maybe seems so far away. Come into your life, a verse that you can turn to and you can be reminded of the kind of God who your faith is in and who you're trusted in. A sovereign, loving, all-powerful God. This was Job's God and this is our God. But what we're going to move on now to look at concentrating on the final chapter of job we read earlier job 42 is having stated this faith is to look at faith unpacked we're just going to unpack this faith of job a little bit more this faith that god did so richly blessed as his faith journey his faith story reaches its climax here yes we're going to look At how following that great climactic revelation of God that he just had in the previous chapter we looked at before I went on holiday, at how even Job's already wonderful faith had developed. Let's look at his faith then. His faith fully matured at what he actually believed and what this resulted in in his life. So he believed then that his God was unlimited. Job 42, verse 1 and verse 2. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. This is Job's response then to to God setting forth in the, the chapters just prior to this. God setting forth of the glory and majesty and power of his creation. This is how Job responds. Having seen this vision of God, I know that you can do all things. I know that you are an all-powerful and omnipotent God. Let me here, though, just slip in one proviso here. And that is God is omnipotent, but he's omnipotent within the confines of who he is. By that meaning that God will not and God cannot do that which is in opposition to his character. God cannot do that. That which is evil. God cannot do that which will not bring him glory. God cannot do that which will not lead to the greatest possible spiritual growth and blessing for us. So you see, even though God loves us, each one of us here, with a passion that is beyond our understanding. Even though he is all-powerful, yet he cannot give us the easy way out. God always has to do that which is right. That which will bring him glory and that which will lead to our growth in Jesus Christ. Job also believed that his God was unstoppable. Again, verse 2. I know that you can do all things. That no plan of yours can be thwarted. Now what was... What's in the original, what's actually literally said here is, there's no plan of yours can be cut off. Meaning God's purpose can't be blocked, can't be restrained, can't be stopped. I think the captured it well. And Charles Swindle, great preacher, he says here, God's intentions can neither be altered nor disrupted. What he purposes will transpire without delay, without hindrance, and without fail. Everything that happens on this earth falls within the framework of exactly what God has purposed. None of what occurs is a last-minute, stopgap response. Therefore, he is never surprised. Whatever occurs is unfolding precisely as he planned it, is in his omniscience. Yeah, that word. With him, things that occur on earth are never out of control now do you see what's being said what, what he said here that man's sin man's choice to sin that this has brought evil and suffering and pain into our world and into our experience and it would seem then that, that God is letting sin that's what he's doing he's letting sin he's letting evil work its way out to its ultimate expression. And sometimes as part of that process, we're affected, we're hit, we're hurt by that. But he's letting this happen in order that when evil reaches its ultimate expression, then at that point, when the contrast will be the greatest, when it will be seen at at its clearest, then God is going to step in and reveal his glory at its ultimate, at the second coming of Jesus, But until that time, until that time, and as we live in this world, and as we suffer, as we do, because of the impact of sin and evil, well, what the Bible tells us, and what Job, I believe here, is telling us, is that all of this, in some way that is beyond our understanding, is held within the context of God's sovereign power. Things might at times seem to be unjust. It might seem that chaos is breaking out all around us. It might seem as if our lives have no sense or meaning to them. But despite it all, we believe, if we believe in Job's God, that our God is at work in ways unseen and unfathomable. That he is in control. That he is, as we've said, able in some way To take even Satan's worst to fulfill his purposes. He's able to do that. I believe in our lives as we turn to him. In our need as we turn to him. God is. And God's purposes will be fulfilled. Believe that. God will get this world right to where he wants it to be. And he will do in this world what he wants to do. And if we are ready and willing to work with him, if we are ready and willing to be used by him, to obey and to serve him, no matter the pain and the heart that's going on around us, then that's fine. It's more than fine. It brings joy to God's heart and it will bring blessing to us. But at the same time, if we are not ready, if we are not willing, then still God will not be thwarted. God will still do what he's purposed to do. He might use another to do it. We might miss out on the blessings. But God will not be frustrated. Third thing we find here that I believe reflects Job's mature faith is that he believed that his God was unfathomable. Verse 3, you asked, Who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely, Job replies, I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. Now, let's just put this in its context. In the course of this book of Job, there have been times when Job has scaled incredible heights of faith. There have been. But there have also been times when Job has expressed something of a sense of disappointment with God. And, you know, from a human perspective, given what he experienced, who could blame him? But, you know, we can get to the same place with God too, can we not? That place in life where we believe we've done what is right. We believe it with all our heart. And we believe we've done it for the right reasons. And we've done it knowing God. And we know he's just. We know he's loving. We know he's all-powerful, so we just want him to come through in our situation and act. Let's be honest, though. Sometimes he doesn't. And we do get confused and disappointed. We just can't figure God out. We can't figure it out. We can't see. We can't understand. We can't take in what he's doing and why he's letting this situation continue. But I want to ask you tonight, who do you think were the most disappointed and disillusioned Christians ever? Who do you think they were? I'll tell you, I think it was. I think it was the original disciples, just after the crucifixion. They thought that, that Jesus had been sent by God to do some, some wonderful work, but then just as this work seemed to be reaching its climax, there on the cross. He'd been so cruelly, so barbarically, so shamefully betrayed and killed. And the disciples then, they began to wonder if they'd misjudged Jesus, if they'd got it wrong, if they'd overrated Jesus, if in the end this really had just been a hoax, a convincing con man that in some way they'd been tricked by. Because you see, they could not see how in any way God in this, even God, how he could possibly bring any good out of this, what happened? Three days later, Jesus had risen from the dead, and the disciples then came to see that this had been, in fact, God's greatest work of all, that this was his master plan of salvation, that at the cross and in the resurrection, far from being defeated, he had, in fact, taken on and overcome All the powers of sin and hell and death. You see, basically, God is so much bigger than we are. He's dealing with situations of a complexity that's beyond our wildest imagines. We could never even begin to grasp. He's bringing all things together to that great final time in Christ. Remember we saw last time, That God didn't answer all of Job's questions. Remember, he he simply used his creation. That was all he did, just to bring home to Job the point that Job, you as a man simply cannot understand what I'm doing, why I'm doing it. You'll never understand it. Your mind can't stretch that far. But this is what matters, Job. You know me. You see my handiwork all around me. You've known me at work in your life, in my power and in my love. That's what you know, Job. And that needs to be enough. Trust in me. When you can't understand, when it's impossible for you to understand, trust in me, the God you know, your unfathomable God. And he says exactly the same to us. But then he adds. He adds when he speaks to us. And look to the cross. Look at what I did there. Look at what I did in a situation where evil seemed to be running rampant and totally in control. Where all hope seemed to be gone. Look to the cross. And trust in me. Yet again, go on with me, your unfathomable God. This is what Job believed. This, I believe, was Job's mature faith, that his God was unlimited, unstoppable, unfathomable. But what was the result of this? How did, what did this lead to in Job's life? Well, I believe what Job learned and what I think we need to learn from his example is that we need to reach a point of humility and submission. Before we can know the peace of God, before we can grab hold of these blessings of God, we need to reach that point. Verse 6, it says, 4 to 6, it says, you said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and, and you will answer me. And then Job goes on. My eyes had heard of, you, sorry, I'd heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now I'm not going to talk here about what Job's repentance consists of. that. We looked at that at some, in some length last time in Job. What I want to focus on here is the timing of this and what it led to. You see, Job has heard from God. He's listened to God. He's taken in what we've just discussed. And there's no more arguments, no more begging, no pleading. There's no talk of his rights or his expectations. There's no demands. Job here has heard from God in a deeper way than ever before. Just who his God is. And so, and this is what matters, This is where we have to get to. So humbly, in submission, he yields his life to God. He just gives himself to God. And at last, he's at peace. That's what we're told here. But, But notice, he's at peace. But not a thing has changed regarding his circumstances. He's still sick. He's still bankrupt. He's still homeless. He's still without any family. I'll tell you, when we open our eyes and when we realise afresh how great our God is, when we listen to him and hear from him and receive from him and when we then come before him as we rightly should, on our knees, humbly and with submissive hearts, then we too can find, we will find, peace in the midst of our circumstances, no matter what they might be. Often, as was the case with Job, it might take us time to get to that place, and it will be a hard journey if we're passing through trials before we get to this point. But when we get to it, when we just say, Lord, you're great, I don't understand, but I know you, I trust you, I've got to hold on to you. When we get to that point, we will find peace. Something else that Job has learned and that I think we see so clearly here is that we will always receive justice from God. We always will. Now, in this instance, I think we do have to be a little bit careful with with Job's example because the justice that Job received, as we read, was very much obvious in the here and now. Now, that's not always the case for all of God's people. Though I would want to say that there's maybe more justice meted out in this world than we often realise. Because we look at the, the shady side of life, the criminals and the immoral and we look at them and they seem to do so well in life. At times, that's the way we, we feel. And we think that they're getting away with it. You know, they're living this terrible life, but they're still knowing so much blessing in their life. And, and it seems as if there's no justice No justice in the world. But what we cannot do is we cannot see into their hearts and minds. We can't see the turmoil there. We can't see the emptiness and darkness there. And we don't know what their relationships are like, if they've got any, what their family lives are like. You know, often there's far more justice around in this world than we imagine. But again, That's not always so. It's not. We've got to face up to it. That there are people who've been treated terribly, who endure terrible things, who seem to find no justice in this world. That there are people who've been abused and mistreated, cheated and neglected, and we could add to that and go on and on. And those who do this seem to get away with it. There seems to be no justice. None. Let me assure you, God sees it all, and God will deal with it all. There will be justice. Often, as we've said, in this life, but certainly in the life to come. You see, our problem is that that God sometimes doesn't handle things when, when we want them handled. He doesn't do it in the way we want it done. But listen, that is his right, for he is God. But let me assure you, God will deal with things justly. I mean, I'm sure most of us would have liked Job, sorry, would have liked the Lord to have dealt with Job's friends justly and fairly early on in the proceedings. We'd have liked God just to have shut them up. He didn't, though. He didn't do that. He let them have their say, he let them prattle on because it suited his purposes. But he did deal with them. He certainly did. We read that here. And Psalm 73, a famous psalm, is an account of something like this, an account of a believer who had problems with God's justice, problems with reconciling the thought of a just God with what he saw in the world around him and why the wicked prospered while the righteous seemed so often to suffer and struggle. But as you read this psalm, there comes a point when the author of this reached this same point of placing his trust in the God he knew, in trusting in the justice of God, of giving justice over into the hands of God. And when he did that, then came peace. Psalm 73, verse 28. But as for me, he says, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign God my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Well, the final thing I believe that Job learned is that we will be blessed and that God's blessing is incomparable. For we're told here that that Job received twice what he had before, that he's restored and he's blessed beyond measure. Now, what I said a few minutes ago still stands here. That Job, he was physically blessed in the here and now. This is what his personal deep faith in God and his submission to the purposes of God for his life, this is what it resulted in for him. But we won't always get this kind of blessing. God does often bless his people with the material things of this world. But we won't always be blessed in that way. But God will Bless his people, his faithful people. He will bless us in ways that are far beyond what we deserve and far beyond the understanding of this world. For he is a gracious God. He is a generous God. He is a God who blesses abundantly, lavishly, far beyond anything we deserve, all whose trust is in him. And he will bless all of us. All who live by faith in him. All who yield their lives to him. Particularly in times of testing. He'll bless us with the most precious blessing of all. His spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. For we will know his love, his joy, his peace And far, far more, we will know that in abundance in this life, with this just being the down of what is yet to come. You know, we've traveled a hard road with Job. But let me just point out one last thing. Just one last thing to you. At the close of this book, Job's friends are silenced. They say not one word, they're only saved by Job's prayers. More importantly though, Satan too is silent. We hear nothing from him. The one who had so much to say at the beginning of this book, the one who boasted of how he was going to destroy Job, he now stands silent. And it is the man of God. Job, God's man. It is the people of God who rejoice in the blessing of God. You know that I think. Is a foretaste again of what we are going to see at the end of time. Satan will be silenced. God's enemies will be silenced. And it will be the faithful, humble, believing people of God. Who will be rejoicing. In the gracious blessing of our God. As we are tonight. You may be traveling that hard road. Maybe it's hard for you right now, but let me tell you, let me promise you, when we see our God face to face, when we understand his justice finally and completely, it will all be worth it. Truly, it will be worth it. Let's come and pray. Father, we thank you for... What we read in the story of Job, we know there's depths here that are far beyond our understanding. But Lord, we see in this man an example of someone who, though he was broken, still continued to give his life to you, to trust in you, to keep on walking with you. And Lord, in the end, you came to him and you blessed him. Father, you want to do exactly the same in each one of our lives. You want us to walk that road that Job did. You want us just to trust in you, to believe in you, to believe that you are at work and that your purposes will be completed, that nothing can stop the glory that you are going to finally reveal in Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to hold on to you now, to trust again in you. As we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.